there's a 16 wheeler on our right. Ryan's driving and he's like driving, moving forward. And he's like, yo, am I good? And he's just driving. He drives directly into the 16 wheeler. It's over. Like I'm on a budget on this tour. Like I'm paying for everybody's, you know how it is. Like I'm, I'm in the hole here. Like I'm doing it because I know this is going to help me get to the next level and I'm building it. I'm betting on myself as always. And I'm like, there's no way this dude just drove our van into this. Like it was so clearly his fault. And like, it was just like, how did you do that? Welcome to the Mike Squires and Friends podcast. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Dylan Reese. Today, I talk with Dylan about his early career, how he started doing parodies that turned into his actual career in music. And we talk about how Dylan did a lot of this on his own as an independent artist. And most importantly, how he provides value to other artists. This is extremely important because by providing value to other artists, he opened up opportunities for himself. And in this episode, I throw myself under the bus and talk about an unfortunate recommendation I made to Dylan, but it's a valuable lesson learned. So stay tuned. If you want to support the Mike Squires and Friends podcast, all you got to do is hit that little subscribe button on YouTube or download on your preferred podcast platform. Now, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Mike Squires and Friends. Welcome to the Mike Squires and Friends podcast, dude. Thank you for having me, brother. What's Appreciate go- it. What's going on, dude? Where are you at right now? Where are you coming Grinding. from? We're in middle of nowhere, Connecticut, um, at the Mike Squires and Friends studio, podcast yeah. studio. Um, I am currently on a little show run with one of the artists I managed, Adam Yoakum. We played in Boston last night, and we're playing Pittsburgh tomorrow, so yeah, just I came, wa- stopped through and say what up. I want to talk to you about that, too, but I want to take it back to the beginning first. Sure. What is early life look for Dylan? 1992. Well, we can go that back. Yeah. (laughs) What does 1992 look like? I was born. I was doing my thing. Yeah. Came out fresh as hell. And where were you growing up? Chicopee, Mass. Okay. What's it like coming out of Chicopee? Um, It's a small town, suburban place. Um, There's some great parts. There's some rough parts. I think... Something that I love about Chicopee now, like being an adult and moving away and looking back at it, is it's actually like a very diverse community. And I've bumped into people that grew up around the same thing all the time and maybe doesn't have the same like perspective. So that's something I really take away from that place. Like I had all different type of friends and all different backgrounds. So it was cool. But, you know, regular stuff like middle class, lower middle class, you know, went to school, played basketball. Very normal, I would say. Okay. Um, what do you but, mean by that? Um, you know, I just had, <clears throat> I grew up playing basketball. So that was like my main focus in my early life. So I was like pretty locked into that, but just had homies, went to parties, like just regular stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but as far as like music and whatnot. That's what I wanted to ask. What's music looking like in Chicago? There's nothing going on. Um, there's more now. And I think there's been developments as like, Technology has progressed, like similar to probably anywhere in America. There's a lot more kids making music. There's a lot more kids doing videography, starting studios, like learning how to mix, like being more creative. But when I was in high school, I graduated high school 2011, you know, so like there was almost no one making music. There was like me and like five other dudes in the like general area that even understood how to even record a song, you know? Yeah. And from my understanding, (laughs) you started by doing parodies of songs. I don't know how you know that, but yeah, uh, <laughs> basically we got Nardwar over here. Um, basically me and a couple of my homies were just fucking around one day and we were doing 
basically parodies of popular songs at the time and just writing like funny like comedy shit and just filming it on our webcam and then just putting it like right on Facebook or I think it was even MySpace before, you know? So this is like way back. So what would happen is I would write like my part and it would be funny. Um, and then I would write everybody else's part like quickly. And everyone's like, how are you like writing? All? I'm like, I don't know, dude, I'm just doing it. And I was like quick. And then it kind of just became, I want to like rap actually. You yeah. Know? When did it become like a serious <laughs> career for you? Like where you're like, oh, I wanted to do this. Yeah. I started recording on like a rock band mic in okay. my in my bedroom. So like <laughs> obviously not good quality, like no mix, just I'm going to hear myself rap into this microphone and then play it tomorrow on my MP3 player, you know? So that was like probably 2008 or nine, probably my sophomore year of high school. So, you know, I wouldn't say I took it seriously then, but that's when I became really interested in hearing my voice on a song and like learning parts of what I could about that process, you know? Um, and as it kind of continued, I just like fell in love with it more and more and found myself using all the free time I had to try to make songs, whether I'm just stealing beats, beats off YouTube or like remember sound click, like stuff like that, just like downloading stuff and like doing remixes, like whatever, just trying to sharpen my pen because I was always a big fan of hip hop. Like coming up, I was listening to, you know, all the fire shit, like Nas and tribe, Big L, like all the like real rap, quote unquote stuff, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I want to write stuff like that and like really studying the rhyme patterns and all that jazz. So I was super nerdy about it. And, uh, how was your circle around you? Were your friends supportive? Were your parents supportive? Yeah. Um, I had a lot of irrational confidence for some reason. <laughs> you have to, dude. And I think that pays off now. And now I feel as though I've earned the right to have confidence with certain things because I know I've put the work in and I understand what my goals are and how to get there, right? But like in the beginning, I was just like, yo, I can do this. Like, I'm nice. Like, I know what to do, even though I had no idea. And I was really bad at making music for a really long time. But yeah, I was lucky in that way where like all my homies were like, hell yeah, this is dope. Like, but no one knew. We were 16. Like, you know, we don't know what, what's dope and what's not. And my parents too were like, you know, if this is something you want to do, like do it. You're staying out of trouble. There's nothing wrong with this. Like, you know, use your time how you want to. So yeah, I had a really good support system early on, like locally, for sure. And what does your first moment of like success look like to you? Did you have a moment that was like, oh, this could actually be a career that I follow? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say one of the very first things that like even put that into my mind was, you know, Henderson. Of course. My dude. God, he's from Greenfield, Mass. Um, he's a rapper from that area. And at that time, he had some big videos on YouTube, and I wasn't super familiar with him, but he had reached out to me on Facebook because I would just post songs that I made on Facebook all the time, and I would get, like, hundreds of likes on my—this is when Facebook was, like, the only social media, you know? Yeah. So, like, it was rocking when you're in high school. Like, you just post, yo, I'm going to the park, and you'd have, like, 60 comments of, like, all right, bet. Like, you know, it was a different time. <laughs> so I would have hundreds of comments and hundreds of likes on, like, just my songs— and he got around to it because we had enough mutual friends being in the area. And he was putting on a show in Northampton and was like, yo, if you open for me, do you think you could sell some tickets and help, you know, move, move the needle? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, I'm like, sure, like I can, <laughs> I'll do it. So I do it. We open for him. 
I ended up selling like a hundred tickets. Oh, amazing. Dude. As, as like an opener for 15 minutes. It's like, he was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't expect you to do that. So we sold the venue out. I ended up connecting with the owner of that venue and the promoter, obviously. And they were like, Hey, who are you? Like, how are you selling a hundred tickets? And it was just, you know, I didn't have fans, but it was just all my homies were down and like, it's a Friday night. Let's party. It's just 20 minutes away. It was a great time. It was like, yo, someone I know has a show. It was such a like crazy thing at that time, you know? So that was a little bit of an eye opener where I was like, I felt myself on stage. Like, you know, I didn't put on a good performance, so to speak, but it's like, it was fucking lit and it was so fun that I was like, I would love to do this more and to see what I can do to make that happen. And then from there, I just kept like, you know, opening for people that would come through Northampton. And then eventually when I went to college in Boston, I would play Boston shows and just kind of work that, um, work that area as well. And then I became, you know, headlining in mass and around these areas in like 2013, I was headlining all the time. And yeah. then, you know, from there on. And at what point do you move to LA? Moved to LA 2017. So I graduated from college in 2015, went to school in Boston. Um, I hooped there for a little bit and ended up quitting basketball to, you know, do more shows and like go on tour and blah, blah, blah. But I finished there, stayed my, got my degree. And then we moved to LA in 2017. <coughs> um, yeah, I've been there since. What was that move like? Cause I know like, where was your <laughs> life at, at that time? Like when you moved, like, was it scary? Were you feeling confident? I feel like we, so when I say we, me and, um, my best friend, Bobby Hobart, who, you know, of course, um, we grew up together. We were best friends since we were six. We always had this dream of like moving to LA and like doing the thing, like, you know, the whole like entourage story, like, like we're going to do it. Like East coast guys, we're just going to go take over, you know? And, uh, he was like my quote unquote manager when I was like 16. Like we didn't know shit. He was just like, he was always my guy. He just like ride with me, you know? Yeah. So we always had a plan to move to LA together. I was one year separated from graduating school. So I took a whole year and moved back to my parents' house after, um, getting my degree. And I basically became like the local Western mass engineer for a ton of rappers. And that was a way for me to build relationships, but also like just stack cash because I didn't have bills. And I was like, I'm saving money to go move to LA and just figure it out. Right. So I had some time and I had a plan. So I didn't just wake up and go, I'm going to go to LA and like become successful. Like we kind of had it mapped out of like, I've got some money saved. I can have, I have a cushion to figure it out. What am I going to do when I get out there? What does this look like? But at no point did I ever think I'm going to like get a job and like have to do this on the side. Like I was all, like, all in, right? Because also during that time of like, from the time I quit basketball, which was my sophomore year of college. And by the time I moved to LA, so it's like four years in between three of those years, I'm in school still. I knew I had to develop skills within this creative field to add value to other things and like keep my hustle alive so I could funnel the rap stuff because I wasn't just going to put a song out and get rich, you know? Yeah. I want to talk to you about adding value because I think that's something super important because you had these skills of mixing and I know graphic arts. Yeah. So you built a clientele that would, you know, cover your basis at least when you were starting and still even to this day, like helps like fund everything. For sure. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I kind of recognized that early on and I think it just came from having some early success in my area and then having a lot of people around me ask certain questions or like want to be involved with what I'm doing because maybe in their head, 
I'm on some sort of pedestal, at least locally. Right. So like I just built a lot of relationships with different artists and that translated into online and using SoundCloud and stuff like that. So like I just found myself surrounded by a ton of people that are trying to do the same thing. And in, I'm trying to do the same thing too. Like, it's not like I knew everything obviously. Right. But I was like, all these people are going to need cover art. All these people need mixing. All these people need production. All these people need X amount of things. And I'm myself, I'm like, I would pay for this. I would pay for that. So it's like, maybe I should become the guy that gets paid to help everyone else. You know, and there's a lot of people that are shitty at the end of the day, like that are going to do a bad job. So I'll be the guy that does a good job and everyone's happy and everyone's comfortable. And then I'll build a network of people where we all can help each other. And I don't have to work at Best Buy to fund my rap career. You know, <laughs> that was and, like pretty much my only goal. And I think because of that, you've probably gained more opportunities because when you're an artist reaching out to an artist, that's the one thing. But if you're like, hey, I could do your cover arts to an artist, you're probably more likely to get a response and actually build a relationship with the artist you're reaching out to. Big time. I mean, you know, and you know this too, but it's, it's a lot easier to, I, I always look at it as like, if you're going to reach out to someone that you don't know, like cold, if you ask for something right away, now you're just a guy asking for something. And it's like, you're not at the top of their priority list in terms of getting a response. Cause they don't know who the hell you are. Yeah, no. it's not what I can do for you or it's not what you can do for me. It's what I can do for you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all I always try to approach it of like, yo, let me support you. Like, I love what you're doing. Maybe that's the first step, you know, of like, yo, I just wanted to reach out and say, I fuck with this. Boom. Seeds planted. They're just going to go. Oh, thanks, man. And then, you know, down the road, they go, I'm looking for this, this and that. If I can fill one of those holes for them, pause. I'm going to do it, right? Like, yo, I can help. I can connect you with this guy or, you know, you're looking for graphic. I can design your tour poster. I'll do it for this price. Like, it's better than the price you have. Or maybe I'll even do it for free if, like, I really value that relationship and want to, you know, help climb the ladder with them and, and build with them, right? And now I'm a resource and I'm a guy that they can depend on. I'm very good at communication. That's something that I always value and you're the same way. That's why I think that's part of the reason why we're friends. Yeah. Communication you know? is one of the most important like, things, dude. You and I have had a ton of conversations about, you know, dozens of different things and we've disagreed about stuff, not in like a bad way, but it's like, yo, let's talk about this. I think this, you think that great. And then we get shit done. We can figure it out, dude. It's, it's just talk it out. dude. There's no ego. Like there's yeah. a lot of that, you know? So like that's another, that's an, that in itself, I think is adding value to other artists. Communication right? is so <clears throat> huge, dude. I can't begin to tell you how many relationships that have I've seen falling apart just because of a lack of communication. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. But I want to talk to you a little <laughs> bit about the graphics and the mixing a little bit more because yeah. I want to know an opportunity that may have came out of you mixing or graphics for another artist. Sure. Um, yeah. Let me think about that. Um, well, there, I've over the years, I've had a ton of clients on both. And, and again, like, I developed those skills because I knew I needed them and I really couldn't afford to like outsource, especially early on. And I was like, I'm just going to learn it and I'm just going to trust my taste. Right. So like, I'm not like a technically trained engineer and I've been in sessions with other engineers who are like really, really good or like maybe went to school for that. And they're like, Hey, why are you doing it this way? And I'm like, bro, I don't know. This is the way I do it. But then they're like, also oh, your mix sounds great. So I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Works. More power to you. <laughs> right. So like, I'm definitely a self-taught DIY, like just swinging in the dark sometimes when it comes to, you know, the fundamentals of design and also audio, but I'm creative and I trust my taste, like I said. So like 
I can get it to a place where I'm happy and I definitely have a style within each, you know? Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. I know when I worked with Dizzy, okay. um, he jumped on the Crucial Remix um, with me, Futuristic, Dizzy Wright, Cam Meekins. Um, and that was after the original, like, went crazy on TikTok and blah, blah, blah. I want to talk to you about that in a little bit, too. Yeah, so I didn't know Dizzy at the time, but I had Futuristic and Cam on the record because they were homies from tour early on and all that. Um, so he had hit me up and he was going to charge me for the verse, which I'm not very opposed to. Like business is business. Business is business. I yeah. want to get paid when I do stuff for people I don't know also or whatever. Um, I think I ended up, I think we ended up paying him, but then that parlayed into me working with him and doing graphic stuff for him for like a year straight. And I think I ended up making more money, way more money than I paid him for like we we did a trade of some sort. I can't even speak on what it was exactly. Yeah, but it but parlayed into a mutual relationship. You know, that's my point. It wasn't just a here's the money, here's your verse, be on your way. Like, see ya. I always try to make it like a let's stay in touch and let's help each other. However, that makes sense. Whether someone's getting paid, someone's not. It's just like having those dots to connect. Even maybe that's for someone else or whatever. It's always valuable. You know. Like, yeah. The network is, that's everything, man. Like, you can make things happen, you know? Dude, the network is the most important thing. For they sure. always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. But I want people that are listening. Hopefully list- both. Yeah, hopefully both, <laughs> you know? But uh, I want people listening to this to know that it's important to provide value to people, especially if you're starting out in your career and, like, trying to figure out your way. Like, the best way to do it sometimes is, you know, through a different avenue. Yeah. And, and even back to that earlier story, like, that Henderson show that I did when I sold a hundred tickets as an opener, I wasn't getting paid. I wasn't even thinking about that. I didn't know that. I just knew I wanted to show that I could bring value. You know, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it that way, but like intrinsically I was and like subconsciously I was like, I need to prove it. Right. And now it's like that venue was like, I want to book you for this. You're adding value, you know? So like, Yes, I'm making them money, and eventually I figured out, oh, maybe I should get paid too because I'm selling a ton of tickets and all that, right? But you learn it as you go. But even that, it's just like I want to make sure I'm adding value. Like when I was an opener for whatever, if I'm not bringing value to the show, I wasn't going to take it. Like if someone was like, hey, can you come open for me in Nebraska in 2014? I'd be like, for what? Like I can't can't sell any tickets. Like why would I? I'm not going to help you. Yeah, I'm going to waste my money going to Nebraska, and I'm going to look like an idiot who just showed up. And brought no one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you kind of have to understand that. Pick and choose that your battles. For sure. Yeah. So like where I can help and where I can be helped, those are where I want to go. You know? Yeah. And I want to talk to you because you have a hustler mentality, dude. It's kind of like a we'll figure it out kind of thing where it's like yeah, when you just jump in. You know, I had a conversation with my homie Spose recently who came on and he said like just jump in the pool and you'll figure it out once you're there. Yeah. You know, what do you have to say about like just kind of going with it as it you know, going with things as they come along. I totally agree. I think there's times where if you can afford to prepare in terms of time, then you should. But sometimes you have no choice. And I think I even saw that clip because I I know Spose too. And he was talking about he got signed early on in his career, something like that, right? Yeah. And it was just like, we're just going to take this and then deal with how it happens. Yeah. So like, totally. I mean... (coughs) I've always, I mean, most of everything I have and have done has just been off of, yeah, we'll figure it out because what else am I going to do, right? Like a good example of this is 2018, we did the virtual reality tour and I had toured 
a good amount in New England because that's where I'm from and that's where I grew up. And I was able to like source locals in Connecticut to open. Maybe this guy can bring 15 tickets all headline or whatever. And like we just put it together and split the door, you know, just so I can get out and try to see what's good in Connecticut or New Jersey or in Philly or whatever. Right. So I've done that like regionally and I knew I wanted to tour the country and like do that for real. Right. And like the option is sit around and wait for an agent or an artist to like discover you and ask you to just be like, Hey, you want to come on this tour? It's really hard. It's like you'd have to like have a big moment and get signed to an agent or, you know, have a song blow up. Like you'd have to really like make something shake to just get put on like that. Yeah. I want to talk to you more about that, too, because I want to talk to you about booking your own tour, dude. Right. Logistically, it's intense for an independent artist. But can we talk about how you went about it? Yeah. So that was that tour that I was just saying, like virtual reality tour. I realized that I wasn't going to be able to sell tickets in most of these cities. Yeah. And I needed to partner with some people that could maybe help and we could all go in on it together and just like roll the dice as a unit, you know? So Ryan Oaks and abstract who I now manage abstract and I'm still really good friends with Ryan. Um, we were kind of mutual homies on the internet from getting posted on swaggy tracks and promoting sounds and all of those, you know, the glory days. Of I miss swaggy tracks, dude. I get the nostalgic. Blog, the blog, YouTube, you know, internet rap space, which is a whole nother combo. But, you know, we kind of knew each other. And I knew that I had draw in the Northeast and I also had some touring experience and some know-how on how to make all this shit happen. Luke or abstract had draw in different parts of the country because he's from Wyoming. He lived in Arizona. He lived in Seattle and he has a, a different fan base than I have. So like he can help in those sections. And then Ryan, same thing. He's from Virginia. He went to school in WVU or somewhere near there. I don't think he went to WVU, but in that region. Right. So like we all kind of had different pockets, but probably all had some mutual fans at the same time. Yeah. So I was like, all right, do y'all want to go on tour and let me just book this shit and then I'll source locals. I'll figure it out. We're gonna, it's going to take a year to do this, but y'all have never been on tour. I have, but I want to tour more and like basically use all of our Spotify data and like YouTube information to figure out where we should go and try to get some venues to like, just give us a shitty door deal on a Wednesday and see what happens. Right. So they're like, yo, let's go. Like, and that's why I love those guys because none of us knew, like I never even met abstract before we did that tour. That's person. crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Like we met the first day of tour. I'm like, bro, we're about to spend like so much money and just see what happens, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, Matt Keen, um, do you know Matt Keen? Of course, dude. Yeah. So he was kind of like my first like manager who helped me kind of put things into perspective. Um, and he had worked in like the blog space, uh, back in the day with like good music all day and that kind of world. Um, so he had some relationships with artists and, you know, just had some experience. He was managing Academy also. So, him and I just got on our laptops. He was in New Hampshire. I was in LA and we were just like cold emailing venues, using our prior relationships, like pulling every string we could. And we routed a 22 city nationwide tour, triple co-headlining. And we had a great fucking time and we just rolled the dice. Some shows were amazing. Like, especially the ones that I knew I was going to draw, those shows were great. So we would make a ton of money in New York and Mass and Rhode Island and those, because, like, I'd played those. I and knew it would it. help balance out some of the other. So then we play in St. Louis, where no one's ever been to, and maybe we're only going there because we're driving from Chicago to Minneapolis, and we're like, well, we might as well stop. So we got a show on St. Louis on a Thursday. 
with one local who brought 10 friends and then we drew 10 people collectively, but they're diehards. Yeah. So now we're in a room with 20 people and we're losing money. But yeah, the other shows balance it out and we're all splitting costs and having the time of our life. It was great. Yeah. Touring is <laughs> one of those things that artists may not know this, but it's something that you actually have to grow separately from everything else. And I totally. think it only grows from you continuously going to those spots. For sure. Dog, I'm about to tell you about a time and you know this time and I didn't want to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it uh, because with the virtual reality tour, I got Ned Stark. I got my head clean cut off because I recommended. Oh, I reckon, yeah, dude, we're going to talk about it. I don't good. want to talk about it, everybody, but I will just no, for the sake of a lesson. It's good that we're talking about this. It's, you know, for the sake of a lesson. Uh, so I recommended the photo video guy for that tour. And, you know, up until that point, he did great work for me. And I sent him out there on tour and he just fell on his face, dude. And he did. And it hurts my soul, dude. And also, I want to say, at least from my perspective, I don't know what your intentions are here, but I don't want to downplay or like discredit the guy you're talking about. We don't need to name him, but yeah, you know, this isn't to put him down. No, this is more for a lesson, lesson, right? Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I saw him last week. That's crazy. For the first time since then. I hope he's doing good. He's doing great. Awesome. That makes me happy. We talked about it. And he was like, dude, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. I learned so much from that. And I hope you don't hate me and blah, blah, blah. You know, he's a sensitive guy. Like, I can come off as like kind of a uh, business, dude. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm a little tough and I have I have thick skin and I don't I don't fuck around. Yeah. But I, I was never mean to him. I didn't like fucking beat his ass. I didn't do anything bit crazy. Yeah. Right. But I was like, dude, it's totally all good. You just weren't ready for that. Clearly. Right. Yeah. You didn't deliver content on time. You were just you know, you weren't self-aware in the van. You're just, you were a pain in the ass. Yeah. And just call want, it what it is. I want but to, it's fine. And you learn from it. Right? I want to paint the picture a little bit because, <laughs> so I'm going to call him Larry for the sake of just conversation. Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Yeah. So we send, I send, you know, Luke is hitting me. He's like, yo, do you have a photo video guy that I could use? Cause I wasn't available. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this dude, Larry has been working with me. He's been great. He's been crushing it. So connect you guys. You are, you figure it out on a business wise to work with Larry. I send him out. I see this beautiful photo of Code Break. Yeah. Just, just gorgeous photo. I'm feeling great. I see futuristic comment below. He's like, he's hired. I was like, I, <laughs> I said, I set it up for you guys to win. Then all of a sudden, I start getting FaceTimes. <laughs> I'm getting FaceTimes. They're like, yo, Mike, like, I don't know what to do. He's not delivering content. Like, he's saying he's going to stay back at the room. And then we come back and nothing's getting done. And, bro, I like, I granted, and, and not to cut you off too, but yeah. It's it's a lot to deliver content for three artists on tour. It is intense, right? I've like, done it before, so I know it's, it's intense. Work. It is. It's so the hardest. It's not of like work. he was just bullshitting. Yeah, I think he bit off more than he can chew, and committed to something that he was not capable of at that moment. Maybe he's capable of doing that now. Yes, right. So it's this is a good example of preparing, and making sure you are prepared because if you just jump into that, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and maybe burn some bridges. Yeah. Like you got to be ready for something if you're going to take it. And you have to really think about like, what am I signing up for? Like, am I just signing up for because I'm excited and I want to be involved or am I jumping in so I can add value? So it's full circle what we're talking about. Yeah. And I really, I just wanted to bring that up, you know, so that if people are in a position where they're doing something for the first time, you know, really take the time to prepare and make sure you're able to crush whatever your job is or Like, you know, I don't know what advice I would have for someone. I just know that I have been 
I haven't recommended too many people since that one because I've just been like, ah, <laughs> one time I recommended somebody and it like got a little trauma there. Yeah, it backfired <laughs> pretty heavy, dude. Yeah. But yeah, do you have like a memorable tour experience overall that like something funny that happened while you were on the road that <laughs> Bro. <laughs> so many. Let me know one, dude. We were on tour with Catastro, um, great band based in Phoenix. Um 2019, so I had my tour manager, Ryan Pod, who I just recommended you yeah. for a job with Watsky. Yeah, and Watsky came here. Ryan was asleep, though. And deserved, though. Deserved. Great. But, so, uh, yeah. Ryan Pod, that's my guy. Um, he was my TM. Hopefully still will be if we get back out on the road and he wants to do it. That's my, that's my homie. Um, Shamrock, he's my keyboard player. Dylan Height, he's my guitar player. Kirk uh, Cedric, he's my videographer. So we had a crew, five of us in a van. We're driving. We're like probably 17 shows in on like a 20 something run. Like we're deep into it. We're tired, but we're clicking. The shows are killing it. We're having a great time. We pull in <clears throat> to Washington, D.C. The next night we're playing in Boston. It's a long drive. So it was like, we're going to bang this show out. Probably leave this night, like that night, drive some like maybe halfway and then come up. Right. So just for context. We pull into D.C., into the city. We're like five minutes from the venue. It's packed. You know, you've probably driven around D.C. before. It's of like course, narrow dude. streets. Like it's, it's a big city, like same shit. So there's a 16-wheeler on our right. Ryan's driving, and he's like driving, moving forward. And he's like, yo, am I good? And he's just driving. He drives directly into the 16-wheeler. So, you know, the... The vans when the door slides out and like basically the whole door is like a window and it's glass. Yeah. That entire glass window shatters. Oh no. Totals the van. It's over. Like, bro. Meanwhile, I'm on a budget on this tour. Like I'm paying for everybody's shit. Like, you know how it is. Like I'm, I'm in the fucking hole here. Like I'm doing it because I know this is going to help me get to the next level and I'm building it. I'm betting on myself as always. And I'm like, there's no way this dude just drove our van into this. (laughs) Like it was so clearly his fault and like it was just like how did you do that you know and i'm like this is about to cost me however many thousands of dollars i don't know if we got insurance i don't remember i'm shitting my pants so what i do is because ryan is a nervous guy in general one of the sweetest people i've ever met very smart very capable to be to do his job but he just has this nervous energy and he wants to fucking he wants to deliver, right? Like, he wants to take care of the gang. That's his motto. It's like, got to take care of the gang, right? So he knows I'm fucking pissed. And he's sitting in the front like this. He's just like, fuck, like, what do I do? And I hop out of the car, and I just turn to him. I go, I hand him my credit card, and I just go, Ryan, figure it out. We need to get to Boston tomorrow. And he's like, okay. And then I just walk to sound check, and I just go to the venue because we're that close. So they're in the car just, like, panicking. I do the sound check. I'm like dead silent. Catastro's like, where's the boys? Like, what's going on? I'm like, we'll talk in a bit. We, we got a problem right now. And he's like, they're like, all right. So I do the sound check like by myself, basically, which is not real because I have a band. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like pissed. Right before the show, Ryan comes back, big smile on his face, hands me my credit card. He's like, got it taken care of, brother. I'm like, cool. What's the deal? What, what happened? He's like, it's free. And then we have a new, we had a new van in the, in the parking lot. I'm, I'm glad the ending of that story. I still don't know what the fuck happened. Like, I don't know. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but like, we fucking scammed him or something. Like, I don't know how I paid nothing for a new rental van. 
and nothing happened, but it had, was a crazy like four hours and it was fine. We got in the van, drove to Boston. Everything was good. Ryan wasn't allowed to drive for a couple of days. He was <laughs> petrified. Um, but yeah, that it was because after it was so funny and we have like vlog footage of it with me and Sham just fucking dying because we were like, you know, imitating Ryan's face and stuff like he was like fucking about to die. Like he was just like curling up into a ball, dude. It was so funny, but it was high stakes. It was bad. It was bad, but so good. But all those bad times made for the best stories, dude. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the thing too, that people might not realize is that you just keep it pushing on tour. You just got to, what are you going to do? You know, we have a show tonight. Yeah. I have to go on stage and act like this. Like I have to go impress people that probably don't know who the fuck I am and put on a smiling face and meet and sell merch. And like, when like, I'm just like, yeah, I probably just wasted five grand and I'm fucking pissed. Like I'm about to beat my tour manager's ass, but it's all good. Thanks for coming. Like, you know, that's the funnest part. It's it's fucking great. Yeah, dude. And to (sighs) me, it's like, do you have any other fun tour memories that come to mind? (sighs) Dude, there's, there's so many, like there was another one where. (laughs) <laughs> it might be too long to tell, but there's just staying in shitty hotels, like shit just happening. Like, you know, when it's early on and like, even still, like we're not rich, like we're doing shit on a budget. We're doing, we're trying to cut corners on certain parts and you just run into like insane people along the way. So yeah, there's probably none of the others that are short enough to tell, but just, I got hundreds, bro. Yeah. Let's go <laughs> back to music too, because something that we could talk about is that, Having good music is like maybe like a third of the battle. There's 70% of music that's, you know, branding, social media, content. You know, let's talk about the, just the business side of it, too. And just like, you yeah. know, what's the other 70% of it look like for you? Yeah. Um, I think you kind of nailed it with that. But I'll also add the way I see things, like if the music's not there and all the other stuff is there. It kind of doesn't matter. Music's got to be there. You know what it's I mean? like without a question. There's too much good music out there and like too much competition where it's like music has to be good. That's without a question. Music's not going to take it over the top, but it's going to keep people there once you do enough to convince them to see what you do. You yeah. Know? Like you could have the best video. You could have viral videos every day. But if they go to your Spotify because of that thing and then like your music's trash and they're just like, yeah, I'm not fucking with this. Then you just did all that work just to have someone go. Nah, you know what I mean? So, like, I personally, as an artist, like, really do put my all into the music itself because that's the core of, like, why I started doing what I'm doing. And I want to make sure, like, I am so happy with my final product. And obviously all the other stuff is important, and I want to do what I can to make that funnel come back to this one core thing. But I'm really, at this point, concerned mostly concerned about that you know like i just put an album on the eighth and it's the best work i've ever it's the best music i've ever made so it's like i'm at this point in my career like really comfortable with living with the results because i've built i've built what what i do to a certain extent where it's like i know i have a core group of people that are really excited for this and they're going to show up to the show if I do one they're gonna they're gonna get the merch they're gonna play this album for the rest of their life you know what I'm saying and it adds to your longevity <clears throat> as an artist too yeah and I'm really focused more on diving deeper rather than casting wider you know like yeah. I wanna have the people that I have like I want them forever you know and it's like the TikToks and like doing content and even like having a conversation like this like this might get someone to hear 
me, you know, have my perspective and they go, I'm going to listen to this. Like, that's all great. And I appreciate it. But like, I'm really focused on that core, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your questions, but it's almost like, cause it does exist. And like, you got to shoot the content. You got to have, you know, there's ad spend. There's certain things that are going to make you get more traffic. Right. Yeah. And that's all important. But it's like, it doesn't matter if this shit's not good. So I need to make sure this shit's good, you know? Yeah, and I want to talk to you about your music, actually. So there's two sides of Dylan Reese. You know, yeah. you came in the game as, like, a rapper and then kind of transitioned to R&B. What inspired you to do that? Yeah, um, I think part of it was, again, like, betting on myself and believing in myself enough to actually execute the R&B stuff mm. because I've always been an R&B fan over everything but coming up like I had no resources or like technical training of like singing and stuff so I didn't think I could do that like I would listen to an Usher album and be like yeah I can never do that so that's dope I'm gonna listen to this you know and I'm just gonna rap because that's maybe the only tool I got in my on my belt you know so like as I got good at that and feel like I almost like sharpened that sword enough where I can go well, let me try and see. And then I started and then I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go all in on this. And then it took me another couple of years to like get good at singing on the mic and being comfortable. You know, it just comes with time and practice. So like I've always wanted to do R&B, but it just never felt like I could until I started doing it. And then I did it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you got to the point where you kind of separated your personas where it's yeah. like you got your Dylan Reese persona, which is all your R&B music. And then you got Ellis, which is where most of your rap music lives. Correct. Um, what was the decision for doing that? Yeah. And another part of, of why I wanted to make R&B too is just touring in the rap space. It's much different than touring with pop acts or R&B acts or whatever. I've even toured with like reggae bands and stuff. Like kind of been a little bit all over the place because I'm an independent and I forget an opportunity. I'm going to say yes and make the most of it. Right. So I kind of got to the point where I was so far in of like, I'm going to make this type of song. I'm going to make this type of song. I'm going to do a song with Dizzy Wright and Futuristic, but I'm also going to make slow jams and like different stuff where I would go on this tour with say a pop artist and I would deliver all my R&B songs because that's what I care most about. Cause anytime I would do an album, it would be an R&B album. But then in between I would have all these collabs with rappers or whoever, because like if I think it's dope, I'm going to do it. No one's telling me I can't, I'm independent. That's the whole point. Right. So I kind of got so deep in where I would do these tours, play the slow jams, and then people would go home and my top song would be crucial, which I is, want to talk about that. So next, I'd be yeah. like, what's, what is this? Like, whether I, I don't understand. So I think it, I struggled a little bit having it all translate the way it could have, because I wasn't absolutely organized to a T, you know, like I was grinding. I was definitely working my ass off. I don't think I was doing anything I shouldn't do, but it was like, maybe this could have been something else. And like, if I put all the rap stuff in one place and branded it that way, Ellis could be a big rap artist. And then Dylan Reese can just be an R a big R&B artist, right. Or whatever size, whatever. So that was kind of the decision because I wanted to just create clarity and be really intentional with like the R&B brand for Dylan Reese moving forward. But I also didn't want to like say no to stuff that I still think is dope and kind of turn down opportunities based on, the friendships and relationships I've built in the rap world, which I have a ton, you know, like even with you, like we work on stuff. I'm like, I'm down to do it as Ellis because I think that's what makes sense. I still want to jump on your song, you know, I fuck yeah. with it. So it's like, I have Ellis to kind of swing the bat and be free and like 
collaborate and just like be as prolific as I want. And now the Dylan Reese is a little bit dialed back in terms of quantity, but I'm making exactly what I want there, you know? Yeah. And it keeps the branding kind of consistent so that if a fan discovers you, they're not confused. They're not confused. Exactly. And you know, something random I know, I'm pretty sure, do you know Mike Snow? Like it's M-I-I-K-E Snow. It's like a electronic group. I don't think so. So it's them. You know, Galantis? I've heard of that. Same people. Okay. They're just two different projects. So I see a lot of people that'll do two separate projects and, you know, have success in each one and tour (coughs) as each one, you know? Yeah. And you can treat them like, I feel like I'm managing two careers, you know, like I have a distribution deal for the Dylan Reese album, a whole fucking marketing fund, like an exclusive situation. Ellis, I have way other things like they don't really cross over because... They're being distributed separately. They have different amount of followers. They have different marketing budgets. They have, you know, it's like it's two different things, but it's just all coming out of my brain, <laughs> which yeah. is it's really fun, actually. Let's talk about Crucial and the TikTok moment that that had. Yeah. Um, what year was that? 2019, 2020? It feels pretty recent. I think it was in the pandemic. I think it was 2020. Yeah. Um, so during those times, TikTok was like pretty early still in terms of like, getting influencers to use your music, right? So I don't want to give too much details because I don't know if I'm supposed to know this information, but I got some numbers on what a a record label spent on a TikTok campaign for an artist. And that song blew the fuck up. And you know the song. Yeah. Um, And I was like, interesting. So like they just had a ton of money to spend, rolled the dice on it, probably didn't, pay as much attention to like what that spend was because they had so much wiggle room and like that shit worked right so if I can spend X amount of that which is like 1% of what they spent and then also do my due diligence to get people to do videos for free and like really put the groundwork in and like connect the dots I can probably make the needle jump a little bit and just see if I can get lucky right so I partnered with banger of the day for the original. Oh, incredible, dude. My boy Brandon. And I, I kind of pitched him the idea like, yo, let's put some money on this. You can own a part of the master and I'm going to do all the work. Like, I'm just going to hit up all these influencers on TikTok, get them to use the song. I think it's like the perfect type of sound for that. And I want to just try because I don't know. No, I mean, even now, who knows what's going to work on TikTok, bro? You just got to show up and do it. Yeah. Right? It's a wild west. Let's, be, let's call it what it is. But even then, even more so, it was like, dude, I don't know. We just got to get as many people using the sound and like maybe that'll translate to Spotify and YouTube and blah, blah, blah. Right. So that's basically what we did. I spent like two weeks in a row of the week prior or the, yeah, the first two weeks of the song being out. And mind you, it's, it's a minute 45 hard rap song with like a very catchy hook. It's like, you know, it was kind of like a what's popping formula almost like in terms of the creative so that's kind of the vibe it's easy to dance to it's easy to build like cool transitions blah 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 and i made that song in like 30 minutes you know like it just that's how it always happens dude it just happens so i spent yeah the first like two weeks of that song literally like 10 hours a day just in the trenches bro like trying to find tiktokers that had maybe maybe it's this girl that has seventy five thousand followers on tiktok but i would click her instagram and she would have 400 followers, just some random person, right? So I'm like, all right, if I hit her up on Instagram, I'm a real artist, 
I have a verified check before you could buy it for seven dollars. <laughs> that she can look like I'm a real guy, right? I'm like, yo, I got this song. Like, we think it's gonna make noise and like trend on TikTok. Like, I would love to have you use it in one of your videos and like get on the get on the train early. Ninety percent, like, no bullshit. Like, ninety percent response rate in that message. Some people would want to go, yeah, I charge forty bucks, or like, yeah, I would love to do that, and they do it right. So I spent a certain amount of money, not a lot of money, conservative amount. <clears throat> and the like most of it came from people doing it for free because they wanted to be on board and they liked the song. And they were like, this is so cool that the artist is hitting me up. Like a lot of artists won't do that groundwork. They want to put the song out and then just send it to their manager and just go, I don't know, bro, like spend some money, figure it out. But if you only do the work on like the spend, you're only going to get so much. But if you do the work on top of the spend and, like, get people to, like, organically buy into it and, like, connect the dots. Because a lot of these people I still know. And I don't know them in real life, but, like, I st- we still follow each other and, like, they'll hit me up and send me stuff or I'll send them music or whatever. So it's, like, they just fuck with me because I reached out and just made the ask. Like, I wasn't, like, asking for anything crazy or, like, asking them to jump over the moon. But it's, like, yo, you like this? Post a 10-second video. Like, it might grow your account, too. Who the fuck knows, you know? Yeah, the groundwork is so important, dude. Yeah. And I remember, I still do it, where I'll just be, every time I have a song, sending out an email to, you know, at this point, people that I've known for years now since I've totally. initially reached out. But with Crucial in particular, I think that song had a lot of success because not only are you reaching out, but the type of song it was, too. Yeah. I think you put the song, you put the right type of song in front of the right type of people. For sure. So, you know, I think knowing your audience is an important thing. Yep. And so that, it translated well. That was, I think that was my first one that hit a million on Spotify. Well, let's go, dude. And that was like, yeah, it happened like pretty quickly in terms of, you know, just being an independent artist and it just, it just happened. So it was good. It was a good moment. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about some of your accomplishments because you are an independent artist. So everything that I say throughout this entire process is an independent grind, dude. So yeah. How did the song with Paul Wall come to be? Bro. Okay. So when I was in middle school, like Paul Wall was my guy because he's a token white guy (laughs) as am I sometimes. Right. And that was just my dude. And I bought his CD the um, People's Champ album. I still got it at my mom's house. Sitting Sideways was like my favorite beat ever. That's my dude, right? So I was made, I was working on my album called Pretty Pretty. I was in the crib with Bobby. We lived together. I cut that record and I was like, I had one song and I wanted to have one feature on that album and I had no features and this was the last song, right? And I was like, I'm going to leave an open verse. I was sitting with it. And, um, my first idea was to try to get Asher Roth and I don't think anyone knows that, but we're just going to let that here. I'm a Mike Squires and friends podcast exclusive. He's a Pennsylvania dude. All right. Um, I'm, uh, I know Boyder a little bit. Who's Asher's guy. We talked about it. We're sending feelers out. I was kind of waiting. He seemed like it could be interested, whatever. Right. So now I got the record. No really word from Asher. Kind of like, yeah, not sure if this is the right time, whatever's going on. You know how that shit goes. You just get the run around or whatever. It just doesn't happen. So then I'm just sitting there. I'm like, who could be a rap feature that just fits with this R&B album? And it feels like a kind of a nostalgic moment, but it's just also just like, just works, you know? And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, I looked at Bobby. And I'm like, Paul Wall. And he's like, how the fuck are you going to get Paul Wall? Literally, not even joking you. The next morning I had Paul Wall's vocals crazy how did that happen dude (laughs) bro it was just one of those things like it just happened bro like 
I I dug up Instagram, you know, Paul Wall, looked up his stuff, couldn't find any info on like how to contact him, went through the Googles, went through the Facebooks, found his manager, just some guy you would never know, right? His homie called him. He had a number. It was like some old school shit, you know, hit me up for features, number, called him. Yo, I'm looking for a Paul Wall feature. He's like, send me the song. Sent it. He's like, we love it. I'm with Paul right now. We're in the studio. Here's the price. Send us half. I'm like, insane. Send, done. Vocals are in back. It was distributed in like a week, bro. It was insane. Bro, and that's I, an amazing like, story. Also, he's the man. Like, he's showed love. Like, we still follow each other. He'll like randomly comment on my shit. Like, Paul Wall's the fucking man, dude. He's it's always OG awesome. legend. It's always awesome when you hear their... You know, that the people that, you know, at one point you owned his CDs, you looked up to him, like, you know what I mean? He's the man. And he's the man. Yeah. That's like the icing on the cake. And that doesn't always happen. No, it doesn't, dude. You know? But I want to talk to you a little bit more about some more collabs you have. I know you have a song with Music Soul Child. My favorite artist of all time. How did that happen? Similar, um, but different. It took a lot longer, I'll say that. Um, another time where I just made a song and it was just like, this feels like something that should have a feature. That was the first song I produced myself. Oh, that's a beautiful thing, dude. Yeah, it was cool. So I made it and it just felt like I, that's a, that's a comparison I get a lot. Like when I would go on the road and like, it's, maybe it's an older crowd that would go, yo, music soul child. Like, right. That's your guy. I'm like, of course. And like, yeah, we can hear it. Like that's one of your influences, which it totally is. And I'll never shy away from that. Like he's the man. Right. So Made the demo. I'm, I'm talking to Steve, my other roommate. He's a big R&B head, too. Like, we have a lot of the same taste. And I'm like, yo, music would kill this. And he's like, yeah. When I hear, I was hearing you in the other room, and I was hearing to listen to this beat, I'm like, this sounds like music, Soul Child record. So, again, me, I'm not afraid to shoot my shot, bro. That's one thing. Like, I've shot a lot of shots in my life. I know you're similar to that, too. Have to shoot your shot, like, dude. You just never know what could happen, right? So I'm like, all right. Let me try to find... Music Soul Child, or how to, let me see if I can find him. Couldn't find any information. He's very elusive, right? And uh, I found his publicist, which is not the right person to contact. So maybe don't do this if you're listening. But <laughs> I hit her up and I was like, hey, I got this record I just made and I think music would be great on it. I realize you're not the right person to contact, but I couldn't find any information about his manager or anything. And I just wanted to have a shot in the dark here. So if you happen to take a listen to this, like, let me know. And I'd love to talk further or whatever. Didn't hear back. I was holding on to the record. I'm like, I'll get somebody on it. I love the song, but I was dropping stuff in the meantime, whatever. Like, I want to say four or five months later, I get an email from her. And she's like, I love this. I'm going to connect you with his manager. And I'm like, oh, shit. This is crazy. Like, this might happen. The slow-mo uh, shot, dude. Yeah, I was like, I got the email, and I'm like, who the hell is this? I didn't, rec- I didn't forget about the name. Like, I was like, who is this? And I was like, oh, this is Music Soul Child. So, connects me with the manager. He ends up calling me. He's a Boston guy. Oh, amazing. That's always the best, dude. And I was like, dude, I'm from Mass. And he was like, no way. Like, nobody's really doing R&B in, in Mass. Like, that's sick. So, we kind of connected on that. And he was like, yeah, man, I fuck with the song. And, like, I've actually been listening to your catalog and stuff. Like, you're really fucking dope. Like, you're slept on artists like you really put it together like i love your branding and all that i'm like fuck yeah this is sick so he's like i'm gonna show it to music see what he thinks and then we'll holler back another like month goes by and he hits me and he's like music loves it he would love to do it like let's jump on a zoom and like just talk about what you want and blah 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 and like he just cut the record bro it was insane i was like how is this even happening and 
Then fast forward, when I was about to put it out, it kind of worked out where Steve, again, my roommate, he does vintage clothing and also works for Southwest. He does these events called ThriftCon. It's like traveling, um, like, uh, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like vintage pop-ups kind of thing? Yeah, but they're huge. It's like a- Convention. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking on the word, but yeah, they're traveling big events where they sell thrift clothing. Expo? Yes, exactly. There you go. So it's in it. They had one in Atlanta, and that's where music lives. So I usually go and help him just because I'm the homie and it's fun. Like you meet cool people at those events and stuff. So, and I'm into thrift closing. So it's, it's cool. So I'm like, yo, what if we bring Kirk and maybe shoot a music video while we're there for the weekend? Because I'm going to, so I just hit him up like, yo, if I'm in Atlanta this weekend and I just, you know, get a location and get it all set up, will you just pop in for an hour and get some shots? And they were like, yep. So like we pulled up, did the event next day, shot the music video. It was like a whirlwind of a weekend. Came back. I got to meet him and hang out. It was so sick, dude. It was like one of the coolest moments of my career for sure. Dude, I love that, dude. I love hearing stories like that too, and especially when it it starts with you initially reaching out because a lot of people kind of wait for those opportunities to come to them. Yeah. But that's not how this game happens. You got to go knock on the door. If you're not making noise, nobody's just going to hit you up and be like, you want to be on my song, dude? I think you're cool. Like, no, bro. Just doesn't happen. I want to talk about one more feature. Let's talk Twista, dude. Twista. Twista. So that's a flight volume record. Um, first, I'll say that. <coughs> this is how this happened. And I hope Flight doesn't mind me sharing this this way. Yeah. And if so, we can cut it out if we need to. But Flight Volume, who is someone I work with a lot now. He's a producer from Alabama. Never met him until his day. But he's my fucking boy. I work with him in a ton of different ways. He's a great dude. He makes great, great music. We didn't know each other. He reached out to me for a feature for his project because he puts out, similar to you, he's yeah. an artist producer. So I'm like, all right, I like the beat. I had a ton on my plate. I gave him a price as is. Like, that's what happens, right? He was like, fuck yeah, dude. I love your stuff. I'm going to pay you. Do it. I do a verse and a hook for him. The song, you know, time goes by and he's like, I want to get somebody else on this and I don't know what to do. Do you have any suggestions? Like, I'll cover the cost, of course. Like, I just, maybe you know somebody or can help, whatever. So I'm looking at this like, this could be an opportunity to work with someone that I really like. But I'm like, I don't know what this guy's budget is, right? So I'm like, what's your budget? And he's like, it could be this, depending on blah, blah, blah. You know, he had a little bit of money to spend. So I was like, what about Twista? That's the first thing I said. And he's like, I mean, that would be insane. But how are we going to get Twista? I'm like, bro. I'm going to find his ass. Don't worry. This is what I do. (laughs) So same thing. Similar to Paul Wall, like found his manager, called the guy, negotiated it, talked him down a ton, honestly, like got the fucking hookup. Flight paid it. We put the record out. One of my favorite songs. I got to work with Twista. Technically got paid to work with Twista, which was even better, which is like the opposite of what you would normally do, you know? That never happens, dude. Yeah. So it was a great situation and uh, Flight was super happy with the outcome. That's you know, I talked to him on a daily basis at this point. Like he's my guy and I know that's like one of his favorite songs ever. So yeah, it was fucking crazy. Another just whirlwind. Like, I don't know how we made that happen, but we did it, you know? Yeah. I kind of want to pull the conversation into mental health a little bit okay? because I know the music industry is a roller coaster. Sure. You know, how do you deal with those bad days? Yeah, that's tough. Um, I think I've been, pretty blessed to like have very limited bad days and again I think some of that comes from my irrational confidence early on 
and it's like just spilling over of like, you know, I haven't had like massive hoops to jump through. Like obviously everyone has their struggles, but I feel like I'm pretty level headed and I don't get too excited when things are going great. And I don't get too down when things are going poorly. Like I'm pretty like, you know, even keel. And a lot of people that are close to me are like always, that's like a joke. It's like something like sick happens and they'll be like, they'll ask me about it. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's dope. And they're just like, aren't you fucking excited? I'm like, yeah, I am. And they're like, why don't you sound like you are? I'm like, because it's fine. Like, everything's fine. It's going to be good. We're going to move on. And there's always going to be a tomorrow. There's going to be a problem. You know, there's going to be something good, whatever. It all balances out. You know, that's kind of like my outlook. Yeah. So I think that's been helpful in terms of keeping my like mental health in a space that's healthy. And honestly, like I have these talks with other musicians and like just people in the industry because I think a lot of people do struggle with this. And I honestly feel like I'm like in the very small percentage that doesn't much. And like maybe that's going to come back to haunt me when I'm 60 and I'm just going to fucking explode because I'm like, all this crazy shit happened. I didn't deal with it, you know, but it's like, I don't know. I kind of just have this mentality of like next play, you know, like just fucking do it. Who knows? You know, my dad has a quote that has just stuck with me and I live by that's in the same. Yeah. Nothing's as bad as it seems. Nothing's as good as it seems. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You just kind of live in that middle ground and it prevents you from getting too excited because the worst is if you get excited for something that falls through, dude, that's devastating. And if something bad's happening, you know, it prevents you from jumping off that cliff freaking out. So staying in that middle ground is actually a beautiful place to be. And I, you know, commend you for doing that. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to do. I don't want to say like, yeah, just do that. And then you're good. You don't have to deal with it. But like I said, I'm lucky to like have that perspective because I know that that's not like, maybe it's not even necessarily a choice. Right. But like, I'm able to do that and I'm able to have that perspective and almost like just balance it. And, um, yeah, it's like you, you want to manage your expectations on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. And I just think that's, it's just a easier way to do it because otherwise you're just going to be bouncing off the walls, like up and down and then things don't get done because you're worried about, you're worried or you're too excited celebrating or whatever, you know, like I don't, it's just like. Does it come from a place of like being let down from like exciting things in the past or do you think like you've just always been this way? Um, I think uh, part of it and this, maybe I've never thought about this, but I remember a time when I was playing AU basketball and I played on a really good team. Like we, won- we ended up winning states in Massachusetts and uh, a lot of those guys like played Division One and blah blah blah. There was a kid on my team who was really good, and he like dunked on some dude, and then he was like fucking celebrating like he won the world championship, like fucking beating on his chest and like screaming and like he got teed up, right? He got t- he got a technical foul because he was acting like a fucking idiot after. And my coach was just like, "Yo, act like you've been here before. Act like you've done that before." And I'm just like, "That's way cooler. If you do some shit." That's like sick outside of basketball, right? And you just go, yeah, of course I did that. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's like from like, the movies when they walk away from the explosion. That's dude. more of a flex rather than to be like, look at me, dude, I'm sick. You know, it's like, it's fucking corny. Like, you know? So I think maybe it's that too, where it's like, even when things are great, it's just like, yeah. I expect, I worked for it to be great, right? And then if it's bad, just like, yeah, that's part of it. We're going to learn from this and move on to the next thing and the next one will be great. You know, so either way you kind of end up in the middle and maybe that's, 
I just remember that moment sticking with him. Like, yeah, that's actually like, I was like happy for my teammate, but I'm also like, why are you acting like that? It's like fucking whack, you know? Yeah. And I think that's good advice for anybody in their life. I don't think specifically to music or anything. I think outside of that, but I want to know what keeps Dylan inspired. Um, staying alive. Amen, dude. Um, this is all I've ever known. I'm 31 years old and I've never had a job before. Like I've never clocked in at work. Huge blessing. I would love to keep it that way. And I'm not rich and I'm still grinding. So it's like, that's it. I need to fucking keep going, dude. And I also, I've been lucky enough and have worked myself into the position to have the opportunity to make dope shit with my friends and, you know, for my own project as well. And like, there's a lot of shit that's not dope out there. So I'm trying to make as much dope shit as I can and play whatever role I can in contributing to that, you know? And that's that's another thing that definitely keeps me going. Like when Adam or Abstract or any any people I work with like have a big win, that's that's like a win for me. Like I fucking love seeing that, you know, because it's contributing to like more cool things that exist and then that creates cool people, you know? Yeah, I want to touch on that too. What has inspired you to like step into the manager side of music? Yeah, um it's really just kind of being an OG in a way of like, I've been managing myself, you know, the majority of this time. Like, I know I mentioned Matt Keen earlier, but I think he was more of like a, a mentor in, in a sense. Like he didn't really work in the music industry. He just had some connections and like had some perspective to offer me. So when I moved to LA, like we kind of just got on the phone. He's like, he's like, you know, I'm not like managing you. Like you're doing this. You're doing everything. Like I'm not, you're the guy. I'm just like, I'm here to help. And you know, we kind of just be like, yeah. There was no paperwork or anything like that, you know? So I've been doing this for myself for a long time and I've made a lot of mistakes and I've had a lot of wins and I've learned a ton and like I've done the touring part of it. I've done the streaming world. I've done a ton of collaborations. Like there's a lot of angles to this industry, as you know, that need to be treated with a different perspective based on like what's going on. Right. So I feel like Recently, the past few years, I've made some cool moves and like adjusted things to make things more worthwhile for myself, not only to move the business forward, but also to like create balance and space to do things I want. And, um, you know, the guys I manage, Adam, Yoakum and Abstract are my real friends, like outside of music. Like we all connected because of music. But if we never worked together or made songs together, we would still be homies, you know. So I kind of just realized they're in, they're in much different spots in their career, you know, but I was like, yo, I can help move what you're doing forward, whether it's getting you more organized, helping you like budget certain things out or like offer my guidance and X, Y, and Z or like connect you with this person, you know, just makes, again, adding value, you know, and it's really a long play. It's not like I'm making millions of dollars because I'm a manager now, but it's like, I believe in these guys. I believe in the longevity of it. And it's been great. It's been like, it's been about eight months or something or since I started like the management sector of my company. Um, but it's been great. I've had a great time. And um, I think we've made strides in different ways for both of them. And um, for also myself too, for Dylan and Ellis. So it's kind of like all four of those artists. Like I'm just like thinking about that every day. And then also all the other freelance shit I'm doing too. But yeah, it's been fun, man. It's great. What advice would you have for an artist that's about to get in the game or wants to take that leap but might be afraid? What do you mean by leap? That leap into becoming an artist, you know, where it's like 
just kind of full sending it into their craft and maybe they don't work in music right now, but they're just trying to get their feet in or, yeah. you know, trying to live off of music full time. Um, you have to just fucking do it. Amen. You know, like don't quit your job. And I say that because it's going to take money to make things happen, whether you're investing yourself or paying this person to do this, like it's going to be very, 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 very difficult to not spend any money and put out a product that's worth anyone giving a shit about. Right. And even if it doesn't cost any money, which it probably won't happen, it's going to take a lot of sweat equity and relationships to build a team of people that want to contribute to what that is. Right. And unless you have this mindset of like, I can juggle all these things. I think that's really rare. Um, and most artists are better off just focusing on being an artist. They need to have like some sort of like bankroll or security to make that happen because there's going to be times, especially in the beginning that like you're going to take losses and then you're going to have to believe in yourself enough to bet on that turning into a net positive, like in two years in six months in 10 years, whatever it is, you know, there's going to be a lot of things along the way where it's like, we just got to go do it. I think there's a lot of people like, they're like, yo, I rap really good. Like I can be a rapper. Like I'm really fucking nice at music. It's like, right. But you have 11 views on your song. It's not how it works. Like people don't make a living off of music because they're good at music. Right. Like, yes, they do. But it's because of all the other things that they need to do. Kind of like you were talking about with the 70, 30. It's like, this is only part of it. So if you can't do the other part, no matter how good your music is, it's not really going to matter until you get to a certain point. Like I was saying, like where you have a core and it's like, now I can focus on this. If it's just you and five of your friends and your mom that listen to your music. It's not a career. You're going to have to figure it out. Like it's not a career, you know? So like, I don't want to discourage anyone, but also you just have to know, you have to be prepared to like, have failures and be discouraged and then love it enough to like be like fuck that we're doing it anyway and we're gonna fucking figure it out somehow you know what i mean you have to do it off the love it's not a career you can do if you don't have some sort of love for it it, if i was like only passionate about like becoming rich it's definitely not the career for that something else a long time ago like i love this shit bro you know like this is all i know this is all i think about this is what it is you know so like Yes, I would love to make tons of money and be successful or even just enough money to live my life comfortably and whatever. Like, it's fine. But that's not what drives this. Like, it'd be impossible. I would just go work on Wall Street. Like, I'm smart enough to go get a career where I could make 100K a year and sit on my ass and not be inspired. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. fuck that. (laughs) No, I agree, dude. And I, like, I have a lot of homies that have taken that path and... I see that they're they're doing well financially, but I feel like from like a soul and happiness level, I just feel like they're just like, damn, yeah. dude. Well, sometimes I think about that and I'm like, I would love to have that type of security, right? Yeah. Because in, in our path, especially like with you doing like freelance videography, whatever, you could have months where you're just fucking raking in dough because this project came in, this got approved, we're doing this, this is all exciting, you're making money. And then the next month you're like, I lost $4,000 this month. And that that was my whole month. So it's like, that is fun. Personally, I love that. But sometimes I'm like, I would love to just know how much I'm going to make so I can like plan this and like buy a house and, you know, invest in this or whatever. It's like, I don't have that type of security and guaranteed income. Dude, Which sometimes I, I would love that. I used to be so worried when I got into the game about that, like security, because you wouldn't know where your next yeah. paycheck's coming from. 
but I've been in the game so long at this point, thankfully, where it's like I, I've lost that completely because kind of going back to what you were saying with, you know, your network, I know that I have a network that I just couldn't fail. You know, I know if times were absolutely terrible, I'd be like, yeah, yo, so-and-so, let's shoot four videos this month. I'll give you a discounted rate. Like, right, right, right. help me. You know what I yeah. mean? And they would do it because one, they need the videos anyways. Uh, but two, two, they trust you. Yeah, they trust me. You yeah. know, and I have like a longstanding relationship and, you know, if it goes back to providing value, dude, yeah. you want to be able to provide value because then, you know, you could bet on yourself and you know that even if shit hits the fan, you're going to be okay because sure. you know your skill set. Your skill set's your insurance, dude. Yeah, that's totally true. And and that's the thing. That's why I've always, that's why I've more recently like kind of leaned into the other things I do outside of just being the guy on stage, you know, because I don't want to be going on tour, like grinding it out when I'm 48. Yeah, dude, it is a grind. But if I can be, you know, running a management company or a label or whatever it is that comes in the next, you know, 25 years, whatever, um, I think I'll be just as happy doing that because I'm passionate about the music business and I'm passionate about helping artists and doing that. And like I said in the beginning of this, like there's enough shitty people that work in this space that it's like there's a way to put this all together and like be a good dude and be fair and like, you know, like still reach your goals without like fucking people over or like doing some weird shit or, you know, it's like there's there's a way to do it. It's just going to take longer and it's going to be more work. But this shit been taking long and I've been working hard the whole time. So let's just keep it going. You know, I got one more question for you, Dylan. Uh-huh. What's next for you? Um, all this, like everything I've been talking about, like I'm excited to keep expanding, um, and growing the artists I'm working with on the management side. But yeah, like I said, I just dropped the album on the eighth. I also dropped Rap Dylan three on the eighth on the Ellis side. So I dropped two albums in one day. Amazing, dude. Which was kind of a slept on thing that I didn't even talk about, but you know, not a big deal. Just fucking 25 bangers. It's all good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so yeah, we're just going to keep pushing those. I got some cool stuff with Ellis for 2024 like in the sync world that hopefully you know make some noise and make me a ton of money um but we'll see and for dylan reese we're just gonna keep making jams and like taking my time um got some tour stuff pending for next year hopefully get back on the road in like a big way i haven't really done that like full scale since like before pandemic just kind of one off so like three shows here five shows here whatever I'd, i'd love to get back on like a 25 30 show run like as the artist and just like keep building that because i think my live show is really good because i've really done the reps you know like i was talking to my boy dion yesterday and he was like how many shows do you think you've done and i was just like i've never even thought about that but i mean hundreds like literally like probably 400 plus shows ever so it's like that's another skill like you said it's kind of built separately and aside from being in the studio and like doing the marketing and like you know making content and stuff like that's a whole nother thing and i don't want that to like just die out because i'm focused on other stuff i need to put that skill set to use because that's one of my strengths you know like when people see me at a show they're like yeah i fuck with this you know and i i feel confident saying that i don't feel like i'm being a fucking dickhead from being like this guy's good on stage like (laughs) i've done it bro you know so i want to continue to do that and like just prove it in that way yeah, and, and if people wanted to connect with you, how could they? Um, at Dylan Reese Music, any platform, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, my management Instagram is pretty pretty MGMT. 
email pretty pretty mgmt at gmail i'm easy to find they can find me dude they, it's 2023 dog they know what to get me oh, 2024 since this is out yeah so, dude. yeah sorry living in the future dude <laughs> well dylan i want to thank you for coming on the my squires and friends podcast dude thank you for having me i hope uh people get some some value out of this no they definitely will dude yeah cool appreciate awesome. you I want to share with you guys my thought of the day. And my thought of the day is this. Bring value to others. I can't stress this enough. If you're asking for favors from somebody right off the rip, that's not a great way to build a relationship. Bring value. If you have a talent in making cover arts, offer your artist friend a cover art. and do. It's not what they can do for you. It's what you can do for them. Whatever you're good at in this life, it doesn't even pertain to music. If you're trying to level up and there's somebody you want to reach out to, Bring value before you ask for a favor. And that's it. Well, I got one more thought. You got to believe in yourself before the world does.